Hello and welcome to DE Classified, a podcast showcasing the history of destroyer escorts. Each month, a member of USS Slater's education crew will highlight a specific destroyer escort and share the stories of the sailors who served aboard these trim but deadly ships. I'm Shanna Schuster, the Visitor Engagement and Program Manager aboard USS Slater, and today we're going to declassify USS George A. Johnson. As the sun rose over the Pacific Ocean on the morning of 13 October 1966, the residents of Pacifica, California, a suburb of San Francisco, woke to a new feature on the sandy beach. Washing ashore was a haze-gray warship with the numbers 583, painted bright white, standing as tall as a building. As the locals arose for the day and started on their morning walks, a round of golf, or morning commute, the questions started circling. What ship was this? Where did it come from? Why is it washing ashore and who is in charge of it? These are all very good questions. So let me start from the beginning. The ship, USS George A. Johnson, DE-583, was a Rudderow-class destroyer escort. George Alfred Johnson was born in Fleetwood, Pennsylvania on the 26th of December, 1922, the first of seven children born to Isabella and Alfred Johnson. Alfred was a World War I veteran fighting on behalf of the United Kingdom. Alfred was wounded at Bella Wood in June of 1918, was captured by Germans, and remained prisoner of war until the armistice in November. Throughout his youth, George admired his father and was especially proud of his service. George worked as a pinboy and a welder at Luke and Steel in his hometown. He left school in his senior year to attend boot camp and to join the Marine Corps on the 28th of January, 1942. By May 3rd, Private Johnson found himself in Tulagi, Solomon Islands, about 15 miles north of Guadalcanal. He participated in the invasion as a crucial part of Operation Watchtower. Two days after the initial invasion, his squad came under enemy sniper fire from a hideout in a nearby cave. Johnson rushed to the cave while throwing grenades as he went, allowing his squad to continue moving forward. Johnson continued toward the cave until both he and the sniper fell silent. He was posthumously awarded the Silver Star and a Purple Heart for his indomitable spirit and outstanding bravery. DE-583, named in Johnson's honor, was laid down at Bethlehem Hingham Shipyard in Massachusetts on November 24, 1943. She was constructed in part by steel plates manufactured at Lucan Steel, where George had worked. By the 12th of January, the ship was launched with George's mother, Mrs. Alfred R. Johnson, as the sponsor. Alvin Robinson took command of the ship when she was commissioned on 15 April 1944. After completing shakedown off Bermuda, George A. Johnson left New York on 24 June in an escort convoy bound for Tunisia. As the convoy approached the North African coast, 
the German Luftwaffe initiated an air attack. Johnson opened fire with her two 5-inch 38 guns, four 40mm, and ten 20mm anti-aircraft guns. The crew fired rapidly and threw everything they could at the attacking planes. The guns successfully repelled the enemy aircraft and allowed the convoy to arrive safely in Tunisia by the 14th of July. In August 1944, she earned her first dent when she was rammed by YO-153, a fuel oil barge, which left a six-inch hole in her hull while entering the Brooklyn Navy Yard. After the repairs to her hull, she was ordered to Norfolk to join another convoy bound for the Mediterranean. Upon her return to the States on 17 October, she was refitted for the warmer waters of the Pacific. She left New York, traveled through the Panama Canal, and arrived in New Guinea in December 1944, where her orders were to carry out escort tasks from New Guinea to the Allied bases on the Philippines. In January 1945, Lieutenant Commander Albert T. Horn relieved Skipper Robinson and Johnson joined Task Force 78. While the task force was heading to Lingen Gulf, they were attacked by four kamikazes on the 12th of January. USS Hodges DE-231 was hit by one of these planes. It took out her mast, radio antennas, and splashed without inflicting a single casualty. The entire convoy reached their destination the following day. After departing Leyte Gulf, George A. Johnson arrived at New Guinea on 27 of April and remained at Humboldt Bay until August, where she was dry docked for many overdue repairs. After the repairs, she returned to the Philippines independently and went on to join Admiral Thomas C. Kincaid's force at Jinsen, Korea. This force set course to the Yangtze River, where on 19 September 1945, they were among the first American ships to enter the river since 1941. They also assisted in the reoccupation of Shanghai and the establishment of the Yangtze Patrol. On September 30, 1945, almost a full month after the formal surrender of Japan, George A. Johnson was moored on the Hungpao River in Shanghai. The crew had assembled on the fantail to watch a movie when a shot rang out. Radio Man 3rd Class, Eugene E. Raymer, was hit. Raymer was taken down to sick bay, where the pharmacist mate found an entrance wound one-eighth of an inch to the right of his spine, and an exit wound under his right armpit. When his shirt was removed, the 25 caliber bullet rolled out and hit the deck. Raymer was transferred to the USS Nashville, CL-43, a Brooklyn-class cruiser for further medical care. The wound was cleaned and there was no sight of infection or damage to his spine, so Raymer was transferred back to a ship by the 6th of October, and the only person ever injured aboard the Johnson, despite numerous encounters with the enemy. It took 45 years and a runaround with the Navy, but Gene Raymer received his Purple Heart in 1991. The mysterious shot came from the Putong side of the Hung Pao River, 
where Japanese Naval Landing Party Marines were evacuated from Shanghai and being held. The bullet was traced back to this camp, and upon investigation, a small arsenal was found, even though all rifles and ammunition were ordered to be returned in under the terms of the surrender. The man in charge of this camp was Japanese Rear Admiral Minoru Katsuno. He was commander of the Marines in Shanghai since 1944. Katsuno was held as the responsible party for Raymer getting shot, as he could not produce the man who pulled the trigger. After the investigation, a trial was held at his former headquarters in Shanghai. He was brought to court before three Chinese generals on charges of failing to discipline his men and having guns and ammunition in his possession after the surrender. Five American officers attended the trial, as well as many members of the press. So the trial was conducted in Chinese and English, while an interpreter sat next to Katsuno, who only spoke Japanese. Two of the American officers were witnesses that testified to Raymer being shot while aboard USS George A. Johnson. They also were among the group that discovered 290 25 caliber rifles and 10,000 rounds of ammunition at the camp. Katsuno's defense was that he was permitted to keep the weapons to protect his troops. He also suggested that some of the rifles may have been stolen by bandit troops who were responsible for the shooting. A Chinese newspaper. Written in English, stated that Kutsuno was the first man charged with violating the terms of surrender. The article stated that the Chinese generals were going to reconvene later in the week to announce a verdict. By November, the Long Island Star Journal reported that Kutsuno was sentenced to solitary confinement for two months. Days after Raymer rejoined the crew, excitement poured over the bulkheads. When Johnson's crew received their order to return back to the states, on 9 October, she took on 65,000 gallons of oil to fuel her Foster Wheeler boilers and departed for Okinawa. Once in Okinawa, she picked up happy homeward-bound servicemen and steamed for San Diego via Pearl Harbor. The ship was decommissioned on the 31st of May, 1946. And in August, recommissioned and assigned to the 12th Naval District as a training ship. Reserve sailors would make training cruises off of the California coast aboard the seasoned vessel. On Memorial Day, 1952, she hosted Marines aboard for a gun salute outside of the Golden Gate Bridge. She hosted Mexican dignitaries on a visit to Manzillo, Mexico, and in September 1957. Johnson was again decommissioned and entered the Pacific Reserve Fleet at Mare Island. On November first, nineteen sixty-five, George A. Johnson was struck from the Navy list and sold for scrap to National Metal and Steel Corporation. Almost a year later, when being towed from San Francisco to San Pedro to the scrapyard, the ship broke free of her tow line. And ran aground at Morris Point Beach in Pacifica, California. The ship just missed an outcropping of jagged rocks that would have been detrimental to scrapping the ship, and could have released 88,000 gallons of oil into the shallow waters. Luckily, she ran aground on the sandy beaches near a golf course. 
Not surprisingly, word spread quickly around town that a warship had washed ashore, and people stormed the beaches to see it for themselves. Two enterprising San Franciscans took it upon themselves to board the ship and claimed possession of the unmanned vessel, a claim that National Metal and Steel Corporation politely ignored. Naturally, the media picked up this story and thousands of people flocked to the beach to watch the ownership dispute. According to an unnamed admiralty lawyer, the two men legally had ownership of the vessel as long as one of them remained on board. The two men, an adventure-minded airline pilot named Paul Fartley, and his brother-in-law, Larry Rohde, a classical composer, climbed aboard the empty ship and claimed marine admiralty laws gave them the right to scrap the ship and keep the profits for themselves. Rohde at one point left the ship to gather supplies and medical equipment as Farley had diabetes. One of them had to stay on the ship in order to keep their claim. Upon his return, Rhodey found the beach crowded with thousands of onlookers and police bellowing at them to give up the ship. The police would not allow Rhodey to reboard the ship. The pair held on to their claim for 27 and a half hours, until finally forced to abandon ship. Paul Farley was unable to obtain the insulin he needed. As he left the ship, he said, I am leaving this vessel under protest. At this point, the ship was back in the ownership of National Metal and Steel, but the story isn't over yet. The ship was on the beach, but not getting out to sea under her own power. There were many discussions on what the best course of action would be moving forward. With the shallow beach stretching 3,000 feet seaward, it was not possible to refloat Johnson, take her out to sea, or reattach the tow line. She washed ashore during extreme high tide and was pushed along by 16-foot rolling waves. Someone threw out the idea of preserving her as a memorial museum or a recreation center, but the idea was dismissed quickly because of the regular maintenance costs. Three weeks after her stranding, it was decided to remove the Navy-owned equipment aboard the ship and scrap Johnson on the beach. It took several more weeks to get permission from the city to continue with the beachside scrapping. The winter season was approaching, and seasonal storms and high tides had moved Johnson's stern 12 feet seaward. Fearing that the waves would grow worse and Johnson would be tossed uncontrollably, crews pumped water into the after section of the ship to settle her more into the beach. After information was made public that the vast amount of oil could pollute the beaches from San Francisco to North Oregon, permissions were granted and the scrapping quickly moved forward. Crews started by pumping out the water ballast and oil, which lightened the weight of the vessel. Next, the hull was moved further onto the beach and out of the surf to assist in the safety of the cutting work. Next, the hull was moved further onto the beach and out of the surf to assist in the safety of cutting work. Soon the hissing of cutting torches filled the small beach. 
A 110-ton Erie Transit crane moved into position. This was the first time a modern truck crane would salvage a vessel of 1,450 tons from the open sea. At the end of the first week, all of the anti-aircraft gun mounts were removed, as well as the aft 5-inch gun weighing in at 25 tons. All of the gun mounts were returned to the Navy. Workmen cut off the superstructure, except for a small section protecting the workers from incoming winter waves. Sections of the stern were removed, and the bow began to disappear as the men worked their way amidships from both ends with cutting torches. These sections weighed 50 tons each and were lifted by the massive crane with a 100-foot boom. The cable line took most of the weight horizontally, and the rolling waves helped spasmatically. Eventually, the crane was able to lift the sections of the hull up vertically and swing them ashore. The crane then loaded the sections onto flatbed trailers, and they were driven the 400 miles to San Pedro. As the hull got smaller, it rocked more and more violently in the waves, making the dismantling even more difficult and dangerous. Throughout the dismantling, this small-town beach was littered with an assortment of machinery, pipes of different lengths, and sections of hull, deck, and bulkheads. Six months after the ship washed ashore, on the 26th of April, 1967, National Metal and Steel finished their practically impossible salvage of the USS George A. Johnson. All traces had been cleared from the beach. This mighty warship was removed from the beach one truckload at a time, never to be seen again. Today, as people walk along the beach or enjoy the ocean vista from a green of the golf course, few will remember the proud World War II warship that made her last stand on that beach over 50 years ago. Thank you for listening to DE Classified. This podcast is brought to you by the Destroyer Escort Historical Museum aboard USS Slater. You can find a transcript of this episode, accompanying photos, and a bibliography at ussslater.org slash declassified. I'm Shanna Schuster, and I hope you join us next month when we DE Classify another Destroyer Escort. <laughs>